0: let me open us with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come to you today and Lord, we just recognize some days are are harder than others. And uh, Lord, it seems like Satan sometimes works overtime. But Lord, we come this day uh, knowing that you are greater than he is. Father, that we are excited to come and to to study Your Word and to hear the things that that You have to say. We pray that You would give us ears to not only hear these things and understand them, but Lord, also uh, that You would so work in our hearts, God, to to cause us to to walk with You and to, to love You and to love one another as well. We thank You and we pray this in Your name. Amen. So. As we get started, just a couple of housekeeping matters. Um, I looked at the calendar where you guys wrote down the dates that you thought you would be available, and I came up with about four dates, and what I'm really looking for is one date in November and one date in December where maybe I could get our session together and we could have membership interviews for anybody that's interested in that. And I'm not just assuming that if you go through this class you're going to automatically become a member of Kirk of the Plains, but if that's something that you desire to do well, I want to provide that opportunity for you to, for at least for us to get that process started. I know some of you have already written to your churches and i have already received their letter, so with you definitely I want to get you going through the membership process so it's not to keep you in limbo. But uh, anyway, so um, I'm gonna we're gonna post those dates. My wife knows how to make these polls online or whatever, and I'll post those dates, and you guys can just let me know if you might be available. You're not committing to come on those dates. I'm just trying to get a feel because I'm trying to coordinate all of your schedules, which is about you know 15 to 20 people plus all of our elders, which is like at eight people. So you know it's sort of a nightmare to try to coordinate 30 people's schedule and come up with a couple of dates. But you know God still works miracles, so we'll see if we can get that to happen. Uh, The other thing, too, is if you do want to join Kirk of the Plains, but you've not contacted your previous church, I encourage you to do so. If you come from Heartland, you can just write an email to Dave Alexander is the one that you'd want to contact, and just, he's the clerk of the session, and just say, would like to we're going through the membership class and we want to join Kirk of the Plains could we get a letter of transfer and he'll know exactly what you're talking about and he'll either send that to you or he'll send it to us but I know they have a meeting coming up so if that's something you could do uh, maybe this week that would probably help them out as a session to be able to vote on that so anyway any questions about that? Okay well I have to I'm going to begin the lesson by eating crow um because of something that I said last week, uh, the one thing I love, and I can sort of tell, it's a healthy congregation, is if I have a if I have a congregation that's willing to lovingly uh, correct me. So uh, that's that's good. I love Berean type Christians who uh, will say, "Hey, uh, Pastor Rick, uh, you said this. Did you really mean that? You know?" And. They're willing to take me to Scripture. And I said something last week that, you know, technically was not wrong, but I really misspoke and communicated something that I really didn't want to communicate. If you remember, we talked about uh, how we as a Reformed church, we b- believe that the God's sovereign act of salvation really emphasizes His sovereignty. It's not what we do as people as much as what He does in our lives. And so we use that acrostic tulip. To talk about the different the ways that we might differ from other churches in terms of understanding God's great work, the doctrines of grace, and that is uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. And what I said under the perseverance of the saints was, you know, do we believe in once saved, always saved? And I said, no, we do not believe that. And several of you said, well, technically, don't we believe that? And the reality is, yes, we do believe once saved, always saved. I mean, actually, we believe it probably stronger than anybody else. And so I want to take just a few minutes to go through a couple of scriptures to to show you what i'm talking about because you know if salvation depends upon god and what he's done for us if he has you know looked down you know if he has said that you know before any creation anybody was made anybody lived their life anything like that god said this is my people this is who i'm choosing to be my people if he has done that and then he has his plan of salvation and his son has come to earth and died and actually purchased those people. Didn't just purchase the possibility of becoming a believer, but actually uh, acquired that salvation for those particular people. You know, then uh, it stands a reason that God's going to keep us uh, faithful to the end, that he's going to... Um, He's going to do, that that our salvation entails more than just, you know, praying a prayer and coming to faith in Christ. It entails God keeping us safe all the days that we're here on this earth and taking us to glory to be with him for eternity. So if you would, look with me at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Would somebody read Philippians 1, 6? And then I want somebody else to read, who would read Philippians 1, 6? Anybody? Okay, Sylvia? and then somebody read john chapter 10 verses 27 through 30. who would do that bill would you do that yeah okay so first of all let's look at philippians 1 6.
1: and i'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ
0: yeah so that's really good news for us Because you understand your struggle in the Christian life. I know you do. You you live that out every day. And and to know that that God didn't just like, you know, it's like the deist God. Where, you know, the the deist God is the God who created all things. And he sort of got it started. And then he said, okay, there you go. And he steps back. And it's sort of like, good luck. And he just steps back. And now it's all on you to sort of work it all out. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible not only... You know, had this plan, and he initiated this sense of calling this to himself. But he's going to complete that plan. You know, we can be assured that if we are his child, that we will spend eternity in heaven. And it's not because of what we do, but it's because of God's faithfulness in our lives. Okay, and in John chapter 10, verses 27 through
2: 30. I sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has, given, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one.
0: Okay. So you see that sense in which the, uh, the Father, you know, holds his children in his hand. He, he sort of uses the analogy of sheep, but he holds them in his hands, and no one, nothing can snatch them out of God's hands. Now, we're not gonna take the time, but you could also look at Romans eight, you know, and, and the verses there that talks about how God, you know, has not only justified us, but he will glorify us as well, which means that life and eternity in heaven. So that's really good news. So if anybody believes once you're saved, you're always saved, it's us, okay? What I was reacting to and what I misspoke about was there's also a doctrine called once saved, always saved that really is contingent upon whether you've made a professional faith. And if you have said if you have prayed that prayer and you have asked Jesus Christ into your heart and uh, then it doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how you live your life. Um, you're a believer and you'll go to heaven. And what I'm saying is we don't believe that. We don't believe that because that's founded upon what we do rather than upon what God does. And not only the other difference is, like I said, you can have sort of a sense in which Jesus... Is my savior with this with this uh, teaching out there on one saved always saved jesus is my savior so i know i got my ticket to heaven and i'll keep that in my back pocket and now while i'm here on this earth i can live however i want so jesus isn't really my lord i don't really submit my will to his will i still live as i want to live in my flesh with my desires and all that but it's okay because i got my ticket so you know when it comes time to go to heaven i'll just pull my ticket out i'm good we don't believe that. What we see in Scripture is that God, when He takes that person who's dead in their sins and He makes them alive, they live that life, that new life that God has given them. You know, that eternal life um, here on this earth. So. Um, anyway, I just want us to see that our salvation is very complete. Our salvation is very secure. And, uh, and I hope you rejoice in that and you delight in that. And that helps you just in your day-to-day walk with the Lord. So, anyway, any questions about that?
2: I was listening to Bill Sroll yesterday talking about James and talking about faith and works. And uh-huh. about, like kind of the point of the once saved, always saved. In other words... It's not just a mental ascent. Salvation ain't just a mental ascent. Yeah. And he's referring to James when he talks about, you know, the needless even understand Christ. And I think he was referring to uh, James Kennedy said, uh, so if you say, well, I made a prayer profession, then I must be okay, and he goes, Well, all that qualifies you is to be a demon. <laughs> they, make, they make an assent, but they're not saved, you know? right? So, I mean, that was the same thing is that you know, there are a lot of churches that try to push that. I mean, as soon yeah. as they, you sign a card or you say the prayer, then yeah. they're giving you this assurance that
0: may or may not be there, it? yeah, I
1: that a carnal Christian we'll call ourselves but you know I, I, I walked on that aisle and I did what I needed to do and now I'm, I'm a carnal Christian I'm really saved but I don't look like it. You know if I did I not have changed, then I guess because <laughs> yeah
0: well and they try to get that from First Corinthians 3 which I do hope to preach through First 1 Corinthians at some point in time so we'll address that more in the future but uh, you know there's really no such thing as a carnal person so it's but yeah but there are a lot of people out there who do use that category so anyway well, um, great. Well, as as you can see, I, I very much welcome if you have questions or I love people who meet me at the pulpit if I say something that I maybe shouldn't have said or, that, or maybe something not as clear to have their Bibles open and say, Pastor Rick, let me ask you a question about this. That's always welcome in this church, so just understand that. Well, let's, let's move on then to uh, the membership questions. And uh, I, what I hope that you're picking up through this is that you know, these questions have ramifications. These aren't just questions that you stand up and you say, Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like it doesn't really matter. These these things actually these questions represent spiritual truths and spiritual realities that are to take place in our lives. So they're they really have application to our Christian walk. They're not just a sense of giving lip service. And so so I'm just gonna keep driving that home because these things are at the very heart of who we are as a church, as Kirk of the Plains. And it's actually gonna, these things really are going to sort of define how we do life and ministry together as a church as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, as we look at that first membership question, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope, saving His sovereign mercy? There's that sense in which we do see our sin and we really see how bad that we are. But because of that, now, um, then there is a sense of humility. Not only humility in our lives individually, but collectively as a group as well. And And so, uh, and and there are many different applications. I'm just pulling out one or two, just to help you to see how these things really affect our lives. The second question is, as we see Christ as our only provision and we receive him, like Bill said, by faith, trusting in him, not just praying a prayer or, or just saying something with our mouths, but truly, truly, truly trusting in him then there is an attitude of forgiveness towards one another because we see the great salvation that Christ has given us. And so we seek to forgive others. So it's really Matthew 18. It's sort of the opposite of Matthew 18, You know, where the one servant was forgiven a little debt or a huge debt. I mean, and then he went out and found a servant, another servant that owed him just a little bit, uh, uh, just pocket change. And he was going to throw him in jail. And the guy who forgave the, the first servant you know, this huge debt, heard about it and said, oh, man, you were toast. And, you know, he took him, his family, everything, put him in prison until the debt was repaid, which it was an impossible debt to repay. Well, that's not the attitude that we have. So, you know, it's, it's a sense of having that humility and forgiveness. It's not being Pharisees. It's not us standing here as a church and pointing our finger at culture, at the government, or at other you know, liberal churches or whatever and saying, I can't believe they would do that. You know, brothers and sisters, if it weren't for the grace of God, we would be that person. And so there must be a sense of humility and a sense of willingness to forgive. But also then in that third question is there is a sense of on-growing growth in our Christian walk, that sense of of, uh, sanctification is the, the biblical word, the theological word that's used for that. And that's a dependence upon the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to give us the power to walk with the Lord. And it's, it's really talking about a sense of seriousness about living the Christian life. You know, if you are looking for a church where you can just go through a membership class, you can say yes to the vows, you can sit in the pews, come just on Sunday mornings, and, you know, don't anybody bother me. This is the wrong church. Don't come to this church. No, actually, we want you to come to this church. But, you know, you're not going to be left alone. I'll just tell you that. Because, really, this vow entails much more than just getting your name on a roll. It's a sense of living out that Christian life. And as you do so, to understand that you not only need grace to become a Christian, but you need grace to live as a Christian. You know, that you need God's power and at work in your life. So, you know, even looking at this sense of uh, promising to resolve, do you, uh, resolving and promising in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ, it's really that question of, you know, do people hear you talk about Christ outside of Kirk of the Plains, outside of church or Bible study or things like that? Do, do you think about Christ during the week? Do you read about Christ? You know, if, if Christ really has no function in your life, other than here on Sunday morning, that you really don't love Him and you really are not trusting Him. And so you really couldn't say yes to, to that third vow. But, you know, um, that's, that's not my assumption of where people are coming from. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how we as a church can help with that sense of discipleship and sanctification in a person's life. So, we're going to look at the fourth question. And I didn't make a new handout because I knew we had these old handouts and I saw most of them were blank. And so I thought you got plenty of room to write. But I didn't think about the fact that you wouldn't have the fourth vow. But it's a short one. So, I'm going to read it. And I think you can track with me. Uh, it says Do you promise to support the church, that is the local church, Kirk of the Plains? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? So there's really three parts to that. You know, an understanding and a love for the church, that's the first thing. The second thing is an understanding and a love of worship of the church. And third is a love and an understanding of the work of the church. And so we're going to talk about each one of those things. And I want us to look at a couple passages of Scripture that I think will help us in that. The first is Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verses 19 through 31 we, we actually could probably just read through 25 for the sake of time yeah let's just look at uh, Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25 somebody want to read that Tim would you be willing to read that No, 10 francs.
3: Yeah. (laughs) 19 through 25?
0: Yeah, 19 through 25.
3: Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil con- conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, without wavering, for He who promised His faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing here.
0: Okay. So, um, as uh, well, before we get into that, let's read one other passage, 1 Timothy 3.15, very short passage, 1 Timothy 3.15. I'll read that, um, I'll give you a second to get there. And then you can maybe put a marker, we're going to be flipping back and forth between these two passages. Let me actually begin with verse uh, 14. Uh, Paul says, writes to Timothy, he said, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So verse 15, he talks about sort of what the church looks like. And I want us to look at 1 Timothy 3, 15 first, and sort of see how Paul describes the church. Now, this isn't everything that can be said about the church, but I think it is things that that are helpful. He (laughs) describes, first of all, the church how? What's the first sort of the picture that he uses in verse 15 to describe the church?
1: First Timothy
2: three
0: fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Um yeah, that that that's part of it. Um even before that though. It's
2: household of God. Yeah,
0: so it's the household of God. Maybe another way to say that is is a is the family of God. That what God has done is He has adopted us through the finished work of Jesus Christ into a family. So that's really sort of interesting when you think about what how Scripture describes us. That, you know, God's wrath is poured out upon us. We are enemies of God. You know, so there's a there's a sense of great alienation from God. And God draws us so close that he doesn't just say, okay, you are my enemy, but, you know, I'll accept you to a certain degree. He actually brings us into the household of God. He has adopted us and he makes us uh, a child of God. And, he, and even in Hebrews, um, you know, he he talks about, let's see here. Uh, in verse 19 of Hebrews, he says, therefore, brothers, you know, the Bible uses that term of brothers oftentimes, sometimes sisters, but brothers to, to talk about sort of that idea of, of a family. Um, he also, though, describes the church not only as a household, but he talks about it as being the church of of the living God. Now, look back, uh, this is a pretty uh, familiar psalm, but Psalm 84, Psalm 84. And this is a psalm where the psalmist reflects on how good it is to be in, in the house of the Lord. And and he even says in the opening verses of this psalm, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to to the living God. But look down at verse 10. He says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So he's, he's sort of saying, in essence, is, you know, I would rather be on the fringes. I'd rather be out here on the outskirts of the courts of the Lord, you know, being a doorkeeper than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know, and, and part of the reason why the temple was so important was because it, it represented God's special presence with his people. You know, that God was dwelling with his people. And and. Uh, and so it was at the temple that god manifested the fact that that he really favored israel that they were his people uh that he had chosen these people that he had redeemed them and so it was a it was a great thing to be in the house of the lord and israel was blessed because of that now in the new testament we don't oftentimes talk so much about uh the church being the temple do we um but But it does in some places. I mean, you don't have the the sacrifices and all that. But in 1 Corinthians, it does talk about the fact that the church is the temple of God. Now, it's interesting because in 1 Corinthians, he makes two references. One, he makes a reference to you as individual believers, that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But then later on, he talks about how collectively we are the temple of the Holy Spirit as well. So God dwells. With us, you know, and and you even see in Scripture where it talks about where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in in the midst of them, you know. It, it is when the local church is gathered, when we see God's manifest nearness to to His people. So that's another picture. It's not only a family but also it is the church of the living God. It is a a place where God dwells with his people. And then the third is what Elizabeth mentioned, and that is that it is the pillar and support or pillar and buttress of of truth. And what he means is is that that's where uh, God propagates and defends the truth that he reveals to us. It's a place where he defends the truth and builds up God's people in that truth. And and even propagates that truth to the next generation. You know, we got Virginia who sits in on the new members class. You know, she's one year old. You know, she's not going to understand this stuff. But as she is here and she grows up here at Kirk of the Plains and understands, she's going to hear that truth. And uh, and it's passing on that faith to the next generation. So uh, a a very simple word that you could use to summarize that is, is discipleship. Is that sense of, of growing in faith? And uh, anyway, so the thing is, we think about discipleship or sanctification, even what we talked about last week in the third question, that sense of sanctification or growing in our spiritual faith. Oftentimes, we think of discipleship in terms of one on one discipleship. You know, we think about growing in relationship to the Lord. So it's very easy to have a, an individualistic, Mindset about sanctification or about discipleship. You know, and we might be involved in somebody else's life to help disciple them, but you know, I think it's interesting if you really look at scripture, it happens in the context of mutual love and service, and it happens in the context of the church. Now, I'm not saying that you're not sanctified uh, Monday through Saturday, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that even in that sanctification, uh, a key component, an important part of that is God's family. You know, is God uses and will use the people sitting in this room to help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And. Uh, And he also, you know, as he is present here with us as well, will do that. So it's easy that our sanctification, like I said, is just between God and I. But the reality is that our spiritual growth is really a community project. It's really something that that happens in the midst of all of us. So Hillary Clinton in 1996, she published a book, It Takes a Village and Other Lessons Children Teach Us. Now, she basically used that book as, as a a presentation, let's just say, of her vision for what she wanted for uh, children in America. And, uh, and you know, it's just sort of that idea of how other individuals and groups outside of the family impact the well-being of, of children And sort of her plan, how to use society to help raise our children and stuff like that. And I'm not going to comment on that. I'm just going to state that as as a fact. But there's a proverb, and not a proverb from the book of Proverbs in the scripture, but just a a proverb from general revelation out there that sort of, I'm assuming she plays off of this, but it's the idea that, you know, it takes a village to raise a child okay and which means that it just takes the entire community to raise a child. well that's nothing new to us as Christians not at all I mean if, if we were to say it maybe in sort of in the form of this proverb we might say that it takes a church to raise a disciple of Jesus Christ okay and that, and that's really what we see here in, in Hebrews 10 you know if you look over to Hebrews chapter 10 uh He says, uh, first, let me just start with verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's a sense in which There is to be an interaction between our lives. If you guys come to church, only to church on Sunday morning, and never see each other during the week, and never interact, yeah, we're not functioning as the church. That's not what we're called to do. And if you would, um, actually, uh, on the back of your sheet, at the bottom, I think, I I took the study notes from Hebrews uh, 10. Uh, 24 through 25, this is from the ESV study Bible. I just thought it was really good what they said. They said uh, that phrase, let us consider, he said the third and final exhortation in verses 22 through 25 calls for serious thinking about other Christians with a purpose to stir up, or I like how they put it, to provoke. Now, the idea of provoke you know, it's a pretty aggressive term, isn't it? You know, it's not just sort of laid back, but I'm gonna, if I'm going to provoke you, you know, it might be I'm going to jab you, I'm going to try to you know, wake you up, I'm going to try to you know, get a response out of you somehow. And so that's, that's sort of the idea that we are to do. We're to stir up or we're to provoke each other to get a response in terms of our walk with the Lord. So uh, a purpose to stir up or provoke them in their love and service or good works. Christian perseverance is thus also a community endeavor. So uh, let me ask you a question. What would be uh, some examples of ways that we would stir up or we would provoke one another to love and service or good works?
1: Yeah, I mean, we see a need that we try to come together to provide for the need.
0: Yeah, so, you know, first of all, communicating that need, letting people know what that is, um, but also laying that out there as an opportunity for people to be involved and use their service. Yeah. What else? Okay, yeah. I think of the person
1: who comes to a Christian who gripes and complains all the time. Sometimes provoking means correcting. Yes. So, don't you have something positive to say?
0: Let's think in the positive. How can you help that person instead of about them? Yeah. Yeah. There is a, a sense of <laughs> And that's not the, that's not the easy... It's a different kind of stirring up, Yeah, <laughs> it is. And, and especially to do so... Lovingly. Lovingly, you know, and gently. It's sometimes firm. Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. But, but still out of that sense of loving, Thank yeah. And, and I think maybe with that, Nicole, is also the idea that, there, you know, it's really hard to rebuke somebody. Uh, well, it's not hard, it's easy for us to do, but it's not always received well, you know, unless there's sort of a relationship there to be able to, to share that. You know, if, if you're a parent and all the only interaction you have with your kids is to correct them, your kids are probably not going to be really prone to hang around you all the time. You know, because it's like, wow. Dad, all he does is just see what I do wrong. You know, he doesn't think very much of me. And it can be very true like that, even with Christians. You know, uh, maybe you know somebody, you have known somebody in previous churches that you've been in that any time they start walking up to you and they say, I want to talk to you, you're thinking, Oh, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. You know, they're going to let me have it. Uh, You know, because all they do... Is point out the things that are wrong, and I know that's not what you're talking about, Nicole. You know, but there's a sense in which we need to love one another. We need to, to have those relationships. We do in Christ have that relationship, but we need to also foster and to live out that relationship. Okay. So what else could we do to sort of stir up? I've given you time to think now while I was pontificating.
1: But I think also by example, I get encouraged when I see also good things in others, in yeah. like their, like by their example. <laughs> Uh, when I see somebody, you know, loving and serving, you know, I get like, oh, wow, that is so nice. I want to do that too, you know? Yeah. So I think I also uh, encourage one another, like being an example or following good example. Like both things, follow good example, good example uh-huh. and be a good example. Yeah.
0: That's, that's a good point. And, and with that too, maybe is the idea that, you know, we can sometimes think, oh, service is going to be a, this big, huge, thing that I have to do, but you watch somebody do something just real simple, something that you're thinking, wow, oh, you know, that that was a good idea. And you're thinking, well if they can do that, I can do this. And you know, and so you're sort of spurred on to, to use the gifts that the Lord has given you. Well, be thinking about that. I mean that's that's something that I think honestly is not built into the Fabric of evangelical churches, and I know we have come from different churches. And you know the, the church you came from, maybe was really good at that, maybe it wasn't so good at that. Some churches, you know, I don't want to say that they only see each other on Sunday mornings, but you know, oftentimes it's sort of like I come to church, I come to the worship service, I enjoy that, and then if I want to participate in uh, in the life of the church, if I want to be, you know, uh, a, a disciple then that's sort of another more serious commitment, another serious step that I need to take. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. Actually, that's the life of being in Christ, is that sense of commitment. And so, you know, if you come here, as as you become a member, you know, to say yes to this third vow is to say, I have a place to speak into your life. You're giving me permission. So I can encourage you. You know, as you're struggling, I can come and walk alongside you. I don't have to, like, say, hey, is this okay if I do this? I'm I'm actually supposed to do that. You know, if if you were sinning, or it looks like you're you're struggling with sin, or maybe you're really not struggling with sin, maybe that's the problem. You're enjoying your sin, you know. And then I had the responsibility to come to you and say, brother, sister, you know, the scripture says this, you know, you need to turn from that sin. And, and I love you enough, and I know it's really awkward. And I've, I've had to do that, you know, with my family, with different churches, and stuff like that. You know, there's times when you just know you're supposed to sort of say something hard to somebody, and you really don't want to say it. But you think, you know, if I really love that person, I will say that. You know, even though I could get blowback on me, I, I really need to say that. You know, and that, that's really what that third vow is saying. So you're not only saying people can be in my life and these people around this table are going to be the people that's going to be in your life, but you also are going to be in their life as well. Which means then you're, you're, our schedules have to be freed up enough to be able to have that kind of life together. Okay? Now that, I don't, I'm do not i not suggesting the Kirk of the Plains is your entire life. I'm not saying that. I mean, you've got other things to do as well, responsibilities and callings of God and, and things like that. But... But your 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 boundaries in your life cannot be you can't be living life so far out to the boundaries that there's no room for the church.
1: But uh, I think, yeah. but even with that I think it should be a priority because it's like like I personally think like even we we, we don't have family, we don't have family that are Christian in here. Uh-huh. So really if the the body of Christ is the closest and I understand it should not be the only thing. But I just don't see that it cannot be one of the virus. I just yeah. don't see, it. You know, I mean, for, it's just by nature because if the ones that you share, you have more common, I have more common ground with you guys than some of my blood family, you know. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that it, it is like that, but yeah, it becomes. It's a, it's a, new, it's a new household, you know. Yeah. So I don't you know. But really, the church becomes. Uh, yeah it's a priority, you know yeah. and, and it's not
0: being part of the church is not an activity. it's part of our identity in Christ. that's that's the big shift. So it's not like okay of all your other priorities you know give us a little bit higher priority on the, the scale. it is really more of a sense of if you're a Christian then this is your life. This right here? You know, so what's that? You know, what's that going to look like as you as you live that out? And so it's it's, it's sort of in a different category in and of itself. So anyway, I don't want to beat that to death, but I, I I do think it's it's really important, and I think that is somewhat of a paradigm shift. So you know, some practical ways that we want to help you to work, and I I just want to mention this. I know I've mentioned it in the past, but in terms of the ministries of Kirk of the Plains, we've been trying to be very careful. To be very uh, specific in the things that we offer and that we do. I don't really desire to be a church that you know has a, a Boy Scout troop and you know has a sewing club and you know has all these other things. And, and I'm not saying that there's not a place for those kind of things. But you know, it's not a sense that we want to be a one-stop-shop church. You know, when you come here and you can have all your needs met here. You know. Uh, but we, we do offer specific ministries for a reason. For example, the worship of God. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute, the importance of that. If you can't do anything else, that is your priority, to come and to worship. You know, but we also wanted to offer an opportunity for you to be at church gathered again during the week. So we offer a Tuesday night thing to where you can study the Word of God, you can uh, to be praying with other believers, and you can be gathering with other believers as well. Uh, because it's tough to live out in the world, and it's good to get together with Christians again and to, to be together. You know, but then there's also—and this is really important for me—the men's ministry and the women's ministry are really key. Now the women, that almost just happens automatically. You just open the doors, and the women just get together. That's just going to happen, okay? The men, I, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I think it's easier to give a cat a bath than it is to get men together. You know, it's just—it's a really, really hard thing. But to me, I see that that's really important. And and I'm not saying that we have to be part of You have to go to every single thing that the Plains offers. And if you don't, you're not a spiritual Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that every one of those things is to help in that process of discipleship. So men, if you're not at the men's ministry, that's fine. But what are you doing in your life that is spurring you on to godliness to love your wife and to love your family and to walk humbly and purely before the Lord. Or if you're not married and you're single, to, to walk before the Lord blamelessly and to be a gospel witness and where you're at. You know, what are you doing? How are you getting that? And, and all I'm saying is, is that it sort of goes back to what we said. You know, some of that is maybe a shift and a paradigm shift in our thinking. To think of uh, one, is that these things that are being offered aren't just programs. There's actually a purpose to those. And, and two, to understand that maybe we need to have a paradigm shift in terms of what we do in our lives and what we don't do in our lives. So I don't know any, any comments or qu- questions about that? I
1: would just comment yes. that um, it sounds very good. Like it sounds like like God knows what we need because I think what I was thinking is what are the obstacles? Why is that that can be hard? And I think it's it uh, it's simply because when we spend time together or being confronted it might hurt. Or when I spend time with people, you get to know we're gonna to get to know each other and know each other and you know and, yeah. you know and but that is exactly what we need to grow and be learning to be loving and patient and forgiving and all that kind of thing. So it's just a <coughs> reminder that just because it's sounds right and because it's what God does doesn't mean that it's gonna be easy. And yet, it's worth it. Yeah.
0: And, and if I might confess my sin as a pastor, um, you know, even as a pastor, I can be so consumed with the church and even the setup of the church and you know, preparing for lessons and all that kind of stuff that I have little margin in my life to be with God's people. You know, and I've been very convicted of that recently. You know, it's it's good to talk about you know getting a new facility and what are the things we're gonna need and, and you know just taking care of all this paperwork with the government to be tax exempt and all that kind of stuff. But you know, am I with God's people? Am I am I having a meal with them? Am I reaching out to my unsafe neighbors and stuff like that? So, you know, this this is something that reaches all of us, you know, as we think about these things. And it is good. But I also understand it may be a process, too. You know, it may not be something that we can just uh, do immediately. So anyway, all right, uh, the, the, the second thing that we see in verse 25 is, is the, uh, the worship of the church. He, he says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, that's oftentimes uh, understood in terms of, of the worship of the church. And it is important that all of life is worship. And I don't I don't deny that, you know, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, so everything that we do in life is is worship. But it is also important that we gather to worship together. And we see that example in the Old Testament as God's people were called together to worship. And uh, it it also is an example as we look into eternity. What is the one thing that we're going to do in heaven that we do here on earth? Worship. We're going to worship. And there are pictures and there are... uh, Examples, and there are, you know, all this that's laid before us of the elders worshiping before the throne of the myriads and myriads of Christians from all the nations that are worshiping the Lord. You know, I don't think we're going to do evangelism in heaven. You know, so there's a lot of things that we're not going to do in heaven that we do now, but we are going to worship. And so that that is a, a priority that we are to, to gather and to worship the Lord. Now, one thing that we believe about worship. Is uh, what is known by some as the regulative principle of worship, and basically all that means is we don't worship—we we worship God only in the way that He has prescribed that we worship. So if we worship, we do so. Uh, we go back to the Scripture and we see where it says to worship. The more common view that you're gonna see in a lot of other churches is what's known as the normative principle of worship. And basically, and you'll you'll probably never hear that term if you go to you know other churches and stuff like that, but they live that principle out. And basically that principle is I can worship God any way I want to worship him, as long as there's nothing in the Bible that specifically says I can't do it that way. Okay? The problem with that is that's not what we see in scripture. You know, Nadab and Bihu, who were were priests, they took fire that was not authorized by the Lord, that they thought would be cool to offer to the Lord. And what did he do? He struck them dead because they did that, because they didn't worship him the way that he said to worship them. You know, we see the Israelites, you know, doing that. They made a golden calf and said, hey, this is the God who brought us out of, of Egypt. And, you know, those that gave themselves to that, they died as well. So there's a sense in which God calls us to worship Him the way that He lays out worship. You know, which makes sense. If we're people who still even struggle with sin and and, uh, sinful tendencies and stuff like that, does it not make sense that maybe our thinking might be a little skewed? And that even though we bring something as an offering to the Lord, it may not really be what would honor Him. And so, uh, and if he is the sovereign God over all of creation and all of salvation, does it not make sense that he would say, I want you to worship the way that I want you to worship me? And so we seek to do that. So I know I've had a lot of people ask me if we're going to have a Christmas Eve uh, service. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service because it's on Sunday. And, uh, you know, we're going to have worship on Sunday morning. So I guess in one sense we are going to have a Christmas Eve service, but we're not going to have like a special candlelight service or anything like that. You know, because, and and we're not gonna celebrate the advent wreath and things like that. And there's nothing wrong if your families want to celebrate with an advent wreath or things like that. I think those things are are great, but I I don't see that kind of things used in scripture. So, you know, we're, we're we're not gonna do that. And that may be very different for you and very strange, but so we're not just trying to be different. We're just trying to be faithful to what the Lord says. And stuff. So, anyway, any questions about that? Or all right. The one other thing I want to just mention about the work of the church—we've really already talked a little bit about the work of the church in terms of discipleship—but there is another aspect of the work of the church, and that is a sense of witnessing. And and really, I want us to think about discipleship and witnessing sort of as one of the same activity. You know that. Weird, you know, it's interesting if you look at Matthew 28. Can anybody quote Matthew 28 18 through 20? Go therefore and make disciples. All
1: authority
0: That's with the authority. Yeah, there you go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You know, and like I said at the end, it says, Lo, I am with you always. You know, that sense in which God is present with us. But it's interesting, it doesn't say go and evangelize. It says, go and make disciples. So, part of that discipleship process is going and evangelizing, going and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, and sharing with uh, people who Christ is and calling them to repent of their sin. And as we do that as a church, there will be people who come to faith in Christ, and then we will then enfold them into the community of the church and love them and seek to be be used of God in the way that he chooses to help that person grow in their faith. And so, you know, it's it's good. And we need to be thinking about our community right here is Kirk of the Plains. But we also need to be always outward focused and thinking, Lord, who else? Lord, who else do you want me to share Christ with? You know, what opportunities are you giving me to do that with? And, uh, and this is going to be... Uh, I want to tie together uh, a passage we read earlier because I think we have to take on the, uh, the characteristic of our Father. And that is, if you, if you notice, uh, it says in John 10 that none will snatch us from his hand. Okay? Uh, we also read another passage of Scripture about Jesus being the good shepherd. He leaves the 99, and what does he do? He goes after the one lost sheep. And I do think that there's a sense in which, not only in our evangelism, are we are we uh, looking for people who don't know Christ and maybe you know you know they have no spiritual desire whatsoever. We need to tell them about Jesus. But I really have a heart's desire as well to go after those who once used to be part of the church and left. You know, or if one of you you know are attending Kirk of the Plains and all of a sudden you disappear. I want to know where you're at. And you guys need to know where each other are at. This is not the pastor's job. You know, I am the shepherd of this flock, but I, I'm not only one, you know. And we need to go after each other and make sure that we're okay. Because what Satan wants to do, he just wants to peel us off. You know, if you can just get us peeled off from the church and get us out here where we're not thinking about spiritual things where you know the world looks much better, you know, that weight can be heavy. And and sometimes you can get sort of outside the church. And so maybe it's a work schedule, maybe it's uh, you know, family things that come up. Maybe they're good things, but you just sort of find yourself isolated and you can find yourself sort of drifting from the Lord. And, and sometimes that's more than you can bear. You know, but how awesome is it when a brother or sister comes after you and says, are you okay? And, and what I would really like, I would really, actually, I would love for us to be sort of a bulldog, uh, what's the other breed of dog, and sort of really pit bull, pit bull type of church. I really would love us to be a pit bull church. Uh, I, I wouldn't advertise it that way, but I really, internally, I want us to be that way. You know, to where if somebody leads the faith, we don't let them go easily that we're going to fight for them, and we're going to come after them. And if, if nothing else, that we're going to be on our knees and we're going to be praying for that person, but we're to also be knocking on their door and calling them and texting them and pursuing them. And even when they say no, you know, even if they left and they were gone for years, I would, I would hope that they would never be outside our prayers. If we couldn't get to them, then we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would get to them and that he would work in their hearts and he would bring them back to himself. So anyway, that's sort of a... That's a personal soapbox that I just want to step on in a second and, and just say, I know I'm going to do that, and I hope you guys would be willing to do that as well. So, anyway, uh, any any other questions before I just share one last thing? Do you mind just repeating the
1: question that i it Sure. I, the I can. The it and says.
0: And I, that's, I, I, that's there. Yeah. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability?
1: Worship and work.
0: Worship and work. So there's that sense of supporting the church and uh, its worship and its work and the work being both discipleship and also evangelism. But I would also say, too, God has... Gifted each and every Christian to have a spiritual gift to use for the building up of the church. Somebody read 1 Peter 4:10. Let me make sure I got that right. Yeah, 1 First, First Peter 4:10. <coughs> As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Okay, so um, you know, in the church, every God has given every Christian a spiritual gift. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to get there, First Corinthians 12:1, you know, Paul even writes to the Corinthians and he says, "Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed." Okay? I want you guys to know about spiritual gifts. I want you to understand how these things work, partly because the Corinthian church was fighting against each other, and they were actually promoting themselves above each other rather than serving each other. Because the gifts that God has given to us is that we're supposed to use to serve each other. Okay? And uh, so, you know, I just want you to know as you become a a member of the church, and and even if you don't become a community member, still would, if you're a regular attender, I would expect this that if you're uh, a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would use your gift here in the church somehow. And, uh, and as, as we use our gifts, you know, we're going to see the Lord working to uh, not just uh, man the programs that we have. That's not really the goal. It's really using your gifts, however that might be. And maybe you've never thought about that. Maybe you thought, oh, I don't know. I didn't even know. There were such things as spiritual gifts. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. But whatever that gift is, please use that. And if, if you if you need help, then please ask me. Or if you say, hey, you know, I have a gift, but I just don't know how to use that in the church. You know, come talk with me. I'd love to, to chat with you more. And, and, you know, it might look different. Than what you might expect. There were two ladies in in the very first church I served in. They never did anything in the church. You know, I didn't teach Sunday school, they didn't greet, they didn't watch the nursery, they didn't do anything. And people would just be like, you know, well, I don't know why these ladies don't do it. You know, started, you know, doing what unfortunately Christians do and sort of complaining and talking behind their back and all that kind of stuff. Well, as a pastor, I was an assistant pastor and I would. Uh, I was required, required, I was required, but I wanted to do it too, to go out and visit uh, people in the congregation. And we had a, a, a great mixture, a, a, a wonderful blend of the congregation, but we had a large portion of elderly. And so I would go out during the daytime and I would visit with the elderly folks in the afternoon. And what I found is I started running across those two ladies. Because what those two ladies would do is, they would go and they would take uh, supper to elderly folks and they wouldn't just say hey here's a meal I'm bringing you a meal I'll see you later they would actually bring the meal and then sit down and have that meal with the elderly person you know because a lot of these were shut-ins and they didn't see anybody and maybe for months nobody would come to their house and so to have somebody sit down and have a meal with you was gold it was so encouraging and I had all these elderly people saying, oh, I love these two sisters and how they do that. And I just thought, this is so cool. They were using their gifts in the church, but they weren't using it on Sunday morning. And they weren't using it necessarily in a way that was visible, okay? But uh, but they were using it. So, you know, God may use your gifts in different ways and, and that's fine, you know, but don't be offended if your gift is more of a quiet, private gift, you know, that if somebody says, hey, are you using your gifts, you know? Don't be offended it's just they want to make sure that you know you're doing what god has created you to do i, I had a elder one time his name was raleigh and uh, he said uh, pastor rick he said do you feel like it's your job to keep me busy mm-hmm. and i because i was i was always say, hey raleigh have you ever thought about doing this or what about this and and, and he said so, so do you feel like it's your job to keep you busy and i said well not exactly my job to keep you busy but I do feel like it's my job to help you to use your spiritual gifts. And he goes, oh, good point. So, you know, I I, I have no apologies for asking you, you know, how you're going to be using your gifts in the church because I know that's what God's created you to do. That's what he saved you to do as well. And so, one last example for that same church. Uh, we went in and we had a, uh, a teacher training uh um, conference or whatever that we did. And we invited the community. And so we had, uh, like I said, the Christian Education Committee that was going to be putting this on. And so I turned to this person and I said, hey, would you, be, would you take advertisement? Would you you know, take care of the name tags? And would you take care of the food? And you know, it just sort of went around the room and I just asked them. Because I knew these people well enough, I sort of knew what their gifts and abilities were. And so I just asked them to do what they were gifted to do. And we got to the end and we had the conference. It was this huge success. I mean, like, people were talking about how awesome it was. And so we had the next uh, Christian education meeting after that. And they said, Pastor Rick, you and, and Robbie put on the best, you know, teacher training conference we've ever had. This was just great. And I said, yeah, not really. Didn't you do uh, advertisement? And didn't you do name tags? And didn't you do food? And didn't you, you know? And they're like yeah but that was no big deal because i I like to do that kind of stuff and i said yeah because god has gifted you to do that kind of stuff and so you just did what you were gifted to do and as everybody takes that little small piece of the pie and just use their gifts the load doesn't seem heavy at all it's actually a delight to do those things and so that's really what my desire is as we use our gifts in the work of the church here at kirk of the plains is not to try to rustle you into watching the nursery If you you really are not gifted to work with kids, you know it's not to serve the purpose of the church, but it's for you to use the gifts that God has given you that you might serve one another. Make sense? All right. Any other questions? Well, let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for this time that we've had to discuss and to think about these things. Lord, a lot of these things are things we already know, but just understanding how those things apply to our lives. Uh, can be rather a challenging thing. And I just pray that you would help us to not only ponder about these things, that your spirit would work to, to bring us into conformity with your word. That, Lord, that we would see in our midst, and in our presence, the working of your spirit uh, to your glory. And, Lord, also in a way that would reach the lost and the dying world. We thank you, Father, and pray these things in your name. Amen. <coughs>